0: Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. I am super excited about today's guest. Joshua and I interviewed each other recently for each other's podcasts. I will be releasing Joshua's interview of myself as an episode separately. However, today's episode is all about me interviewing Joshua. Joshua has his own podcast called The Art of Money and Communication. Joshua was originally from Wales, but he is living in London. And the best part about his story, I think, is that he is a freelance opera singer chasing financial independence. So I think it's great to have a little bit of variety. I'm somewhat very aware of the fact that I'm another software developer, which is somewhat boring in the fire space because it's been done. Whereas Joshua's story is certainly unique and very relatable. So, Joshua, firstly, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Look, let's start by talking about your background as a freelance opera singer. How did that come about? I mean, how is that a profession that you even get into? Yeah, I guess just tell us a little bit about that and and your background. And furthermore, I mean, I I freelance for many, many years, and I was always worried about the fact that there wasn't always a stable income. How do you deal with that, especially when you're pursuing fire that I guess somewhat depends on making fairly regular monthly contributions? I'd love to hear how you've managed to, I guess, build your fire journey around this.
1: Yeah, so there is no stability. And that is one of the things that you accept when, not only when you work in the arts, but when you work as a freelancer. And when I left university, I cottoned on very quickly that there were two types of people. There were those that could accept this volatility of not knowing and those who couldn't. And if you are someone that can't accept that and you go into this profession, you're either not going to last very long or you'll get incredibly stressed. So I happen to be someone that, that can deal with that volatility. However, having a certain amount of finance behind you certainly makes that much much more comfortable so just knowing that your emergency fund is, is stacked you've if anything were disastrous were to happen like COVID for example it was not a problem for me I, I I could weather the storm so to say so that gives you a huge sense of comfort if you're coming out of, of school or if you're wanting to go self-employed in the first instance you don't have that cash fund then it's going to pinch even harder and I, I can see that that's going to be a challenge the path of music I think when you're thinking about career or even when you're thinking about money mentality, a lot of it starts at home. There were two major things that happened. So from a personal finance perspective, in my home growing up, no debt, big, open conversations about the value of money. And when I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it was quite eye-opening, because although we had a big discussion about money, I realised that I identified more with the, the poor dad than the rich dad. But I'm very thankful that even though... That was the case. So We were always talking about the value of money and, and striving for that. That continues to this day, and I'm really thankful to my parents for, for making that apparent. But coupled with that, there was never a question that... I could achieve what I wanted to achieve if that's what I wanted to do and and my parents noticed that I was keen in music they made sure that I had the right teachers and and spoke to experts and they were extremely encouraging and I know that's not the case across the board when I went to school there were some other people that's, that their parents said oh yeah you can do the music to be fine but then you're gonna do you're gonna do a proper job, right? And it's that sense that they didn't truly believe in 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 them doing having a, a career, have, having stability in this in this profession. And on second thoughts, I'm very thankful for my parents for giving me that because I think that gives such stability in in the career with the ups and downs. There is that sense of identity tied to you as a as a musician that that's what you do, and it serves you well, even if the career is more volatile than one expects. <laughs>
0: yeah I love that I love that a lot and I guess I can relate to whilst my parents never really understood software development and web development ironically there wasn't even really a web development industry when I started out I certainly never felt like I couldn't do it and I think sometimes that's a great thing in terms of upbringing that sometimes it's about just simply allowing your kids to find their own paths when it comes to their careers one thing that I found interesting about one of my children who's become quite an IT whiz is that I had never really sat down and shown him how to use computers and use tablets. But at the same time, I really made sure that I got the point across that when it comes to technology, that he needs to figure it out himself and not get frustrated. And I think it's so easy in anything, I guess, to get frustrated and give up. But with the technology side, I always encourage him to try and work it out himself. And yeah, he'd come with me every so often if he got really badly stuck. But the ironic thing is, is that he's managed to work out 80% of it on his own and he's almost surpassing some of my knowledge particularly when it comes to working a tablet so it really comes back to that concept of allowing your children to find their own journey and i guess see where the pennies lay and that's okay and being able to feel like as a child and and giving them that space that they can actually go and find their their own path is so important i mean i guess when it comes to the money side for you i guess I'm, i'm being a little bit brazen asking this question but whilst there's obviously a downside that there may not be work at the same time there's probably a huge upside like in my case i'm very much selling time for money but it sounds like with what you're doing that you could potentially land a huge opportunity and that the money that you were used to getting suddenly could be much much larger so is there an upside in regards to what you're doing and again how do you manage that?
1: Yeah, and it's a bizarre career in in that way. So, well, first of all, to answer or, or to allude to your question, there's there are two paths that you can go down. Uh, at, at least in in my field of classical music, and and it's the the classical route where you're a classical performer and you perform in operas, or there's the more commercial route, such as Britain's Got Talent, etc. They they both work. But they, there are different goals. And many people that try the commercial route end up not making that much money, actually, and reverse back to the just the gigging musician. And it, I always found that quite interesting, that there's a, a dream that's painted, and it turns out that it's not that appealing. And you go, you end up going back to just being a, a musician like that slogs away like the rest of us, which which is interesting. But yeah, the finance finances are, are interesting. I think sometimes people underestimate what can happen for for you as a a musician so you can get royalty rights that could be really fantastic, you can get fantastic one-off gigs that pay you very very handsomely but also you can have weeks or months in the diary where nothing comes through you are your own boss you have to market yourself you have to put yourself out there and the industry is constantly changing now with AI and and the growth of social media so I'm noticing a real reluctance in in my industry it's quite a slow uptake of the the modern use of social media and we're, we're still very much in the in the dark ages but it, it's it's getting a little bit better now, where people are are sharing what they do, where they are, how they're doing it. Whereas three four years ago, if you were doing that, your colleagues would be saying, "Oh gosh, he's doing another video telling us about his career," and you're you're promoting your own services, and it was always seen as quite egocentric to do that. But we're moving into a new era now. Also being part of the fire community really helped me understand that as well. So I've become much more active marketing my my services as a musician after having listened to people talking about their cake business or what they do as an investment banker, because you can take those lessons that you learn and, and try and apply them directly to the music profession. Now, some of that works and some of it doesn't. I had an an email last week asking me to perform in central London for, for a fee that was just wildly low. Like, you would not believe, <laughs> after the years and years and years of training that I've gone through, it was, it's quite insulting. And that, that happens from time to time as well. So you have this really broad spectrum of of things that happen you know that's what makes it interesting some days you're down at the co-op getting your your reduced yellow stickers and then the next day you're you're dressed up in your dinner jacket singing for for people uh prime ministers or politicians or whoever you know it's it's an interesting life and there's a lot of variety to it that's for sure
0: yeah it's it's really interesting isn't it and i think what's great about that ...is that even though you and I are in completely different industries... ...you're obviously in the arts slash music space... ...and I'm in the web development slash software development world... ...I can relate to that and I think that's, that's kind of special and unique... ...and it just shows that no matter what industry you're in... ...that this stuff is relatable one way or another... ...the, the problems are still the same at at least a fundamental issue like in in my case it would be you get a LinkedIn message from somebody and they're looking to hire a developer of 20 years experience like myself and they offer some junior rate which you see all the time in the IT game unfortunately and so it does happen and I guess we just need to be aware of this and what's your take on it Joshua how do you kind of deal with these sort of situations when you might get lowballed here and there and you've got to kind of manage everything I guess in your case even more so on almost a day-to-day basis and I guess it all comes down to how you deal with it. But what would you do in the case of being asked maybe to do some work for, I guess, a lower rate than you might normally take?
1: Because you you can either accept the low day rate and say oh that's fine or not and that that's that's been a real journey for me as, as a musician as well as realizing what box is this gig in so someone that's asked you to do a concert at the village hall is never going to have the same budget as a two and a half thousand seat opera house and you have to you have to be able to adjust and I'm starting to after listening to other podcasts to put certain jobs into certain boxes and that helps me rationalize that because it sounds like for yourself as well if someone lowballs you and gives you a day rate that's really really shoddy then it doesn't give you any incentive to take on the job it doesn't sound like they value your services whereas if they pay you a rate that that is serious you think well I'm going to do the best job that I can And, and, and I've come to realize that a good hearty fee is definitely at, at, at the top of there. And then there comes all of the other things like enjoying your work, having good colleagues and being productive and turning up prepared and the variety of other things. Something I've mentioned on my own podcast for, for a musician is the three categories that you have. And maybe this will relate to your freelance career as well. If you get a job, it can fall into... Well, there's three different categories. And it's, first of all, the, the gig. So it could be the, the piece. Could be a piece that you've done before. Marvellous. Because if I've done the piece before, I don't have to learn it. I've just got to open it, revisit it, and go, right, I've got that in my memory. It's fine. Because it takes a lot of work to memorise things off by heart. And then there's the money. Fantastic. If it's a good fee, wanting to be there, and then number three then is the is the environment of the colleagues. It could be you're working with a, with a friend, and there's always these three points that are that, that are colliding or complementing each other. So it could be, for example, that you're working with a fantastic fee. But it's a conductor that you absolutely hate, and you've had a terrible time with before, and you, you're you're towing that line. So if you have three, that's a straight flush, and you really really want to do that job. If you have two, it's going to be a solid gig, and if you got one, then probably say no. And I go back to that concert I was offered in London. Terrible fee. Wasn't clarifying what the music was. Didn't know who the colleagues were. Would this lead to more opportunities? I said, look, can you can you up the fee? Is there any wiggle room? They said no. So I said, okay, well, please keep me in mind for next time, but I'll pass on this occasion.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And I, I love that three that three-prong thing, three-category thing is 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 so good and it's it's so relatable. You you've probably figured it out by now. It's is that somebody isn't actually paying for your time. They're, they're paying for your experience. And you alluded to the fact there that, you know, you've been practicing for 20 years and and perfecting your craft. And obviously there's certain pieces that you know. So, you know, for somebody to to buy that per se, is that that's fundamentally what, what what they're paying for. I made a joke one time to a doctor. I said, if you were to give a vasectomy to Lance Armstrong, would you charge him full price? Now, you might be aware that Lance Armstrong only has the one testicle. And the doctor turned around to me and said, you're not paying for my time, you're paying for the fact that I've performed that operation 600 times. I've studied it for 20 years. That's fundamentally what you're buying. And that was something for me that was really, you know, when I heard the doctor say that, because I was only joking at the time to him because I knew that he, he did vasectomies, you know? And it really stuck with me that, that fundamentally that's what you're selling. And, and most people think that they're selling time, but actually you're, you're, you're selling your expertise.
1: The response that I had was really interesting. So when when I was talking about the fee, are you, is there any wiggle room? It was this interesting line, and it said, "I'm sure you're worth every penny, but we can't afford." And I found that line really, really interesting because what does what does that mean? I'm sure you're worth every penny. So me trying to negotiate my services, I genuinely believe that I'm worth that that fee that I've quoted, but they're not able to to move there. And saying that you're worth every penny, but not being able to to get there, is a bit of a problem now that that happens sometimes concert budgets are are tight you have to be flexible but i felt like them saying that actually had the opposite effect that they they have they have a fee that is fixed and it doesn't matter who does that job someone will do it and it doesn't matter if it's you it doesn't matter if it's this person that's what it is and is that that's what made me not feel valued in that particular negotiation. And, and it's a good lesson, because when you're talking to freelancers or whoever, just remind yourself of that, because you're always wanting to, to value who it is and to stay engaged, and a good fee can be at the heart of that, that's sure. And a good fee helps you strive towards your financial independence goals, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and of course, the other thing that we often forget about... Is opportunity cost so by you taking the lower paid gig you might be missing out on potentially having the time to take a more lucrative gig or at least you may not be spending time looking for other potential opportunities because you're tied up on something more lower level and that certainly happens all the time and I've certainly felt victim to that over the years in fact I suspect I probably wasted four or five years freelancing when I should have been moving to contracting, which I eventually did in 2021, because I simply wasn't looking for those opportunities. And they were there. I was just so tunnel visioned on the freelancing aspect that I didn't see the bigger picture of how contracting could actually be more lucrative. So it definitely happens. And we probably all fall victim to that. And opportunity cost is definitely a a major factor when it comes to actually making a decision on whether to take a project or
1: not. That's right. Yes, yeah. The interesting thing is that that's where the the collide perhaps comes from the corporate world and the, the artistic world that the industries work in different ways. So I remember having a discussion with this, with, about this with someone that was working in a, in a corporate job. And, and she said, you know, no, know your market value. If someone has once paid you that fee, then set it that high. And sometimes it just doesn't work like that. They can't, they don't have that budget. You need to be flexible, but it comes down to those three points again. And I'm, just making sure that you meet people halfway as well. You've got you've got to do that.
0: It's so interesting. I was a little bit apprehensive coming into the interview because I wasn't sure you and I were going to be able to find a common ground from a career point of view. But isn't it amazing that um, two people with such different careers that so many of the, of the things that you've talked about today, I can relate to 100% from my side. So it really does just go to show that the fundamental things in the FIRE movement and I guess everyday life career advice in general here is is that no matter what industry you're in, we're all going to be facing the same challenges when it comes to money. I would love to, to change track a little bit now and, and talk a little bit about your investments. And look, obviously the usual disclaimer here that uh, we're only having a, an informal chat and we aren't financial advisors at all. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about what you've typically invested in and maybe a little bit of history there as well?
1: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, happy happy to. I was listening to one of your previous episodes. This is way back when, actually. And you were talking about peer-to-peer investing. So I've invested in a variety of different things. But the the general rule, the tendency so far, is that if I've deviated towards anything other than stocks and shares, I've always got my my hands burnt. That was the case with peer-to-peer investing, a little bit the case with crypto. And so... I'm a, I'm a simple guy. I follow the trend. ETFs all the way and I'm a, a big listener and a bit advocate for for Andy Hart. I I think that his his podcast on investing is is just so fantastic getting that right investor mindset, understanding your behavior. And I think out of all of the podcasts I've ever listened to his has helped shape my my investing mentality, knowing that that's the the one thing that will keep me on the straight and narrow. And anything else is a distraction. And there are always going to be distractions. And I'm not immune. You're not immune. It's going to happen. But having that big, ch- I would say 99.9% of my in- invested capital is in ETFs and just in a global tracker. Ah, it's,
0: it's so simple. It's almost refreshing to hear just how simple it is. It sounds like you're effectively just cost averaging in there and not worrying too much about if the market's up or down just cost averaging and let everything grow as economies grow around the world so yeah so simple and and i guess just as an aside you're probably not familiar with the irish tax system but like etfs here particularly buying personally are taxed very inefficiently so most of us in ireland are forced to look at different investment options, which is a big reason why I made the push to property. Uh, whilst I do have a fairly significant chunk of our portfolio in our pension. It can't be accessed until I'm at least age 50. And so as a result, we had to look at other alternatives and property was that. And of course, the downside of property is that it is definitely anything but passive. I mean, as it is, we're recording this, I could get a text or phone call at any time from one of our tenants. So it's definitely one of those interesting things. And whilst I do love property and I I love particularly putting deals together and finding property to buy, I'm well aware of the fact that it is far more complicated than simply buying index funds.
1: Yeah, but do you follow the advice for, from Andy Hart? He says there's two main ways to invest, and that's through stocks and shares, the the, the, the biggest companies of the world and business and, and bricks. So it sounds like you at the moment you're going with business and, and, and bricks and that, that's that's a great route to go. It's not not for everyone. I just had a conversation with my wife yesterday. Property in her her country in Europe incredibly cheap. You look at the cost of land, you think, "Oh, we could we could build a house or rent it out." And I said, "You know, do you really want to be doing that remotely, not being able to be there and, and not understanding all of the the local laws and regulations when what we have now is we we do nothing. We just add to it." And I think sometimes that the the dream of of real estate or property investing, it sounds so good, as someone that I've just gone through a week of DIY myself, oh, I couldn't think of anything worse. I'm not not saying never, never say never. I'm sure it will happen, but currently I'm not a property owner, and that is a whole discussion in itself. Because I I ask myself, what is a home? What should it be? And at the moment, I just wouldn't feel in the UK at least that I'm not I'm not getting good value out of buying a home because. I'm traveling around here over there and everywhere as a musician it just doesn't seem to, to make sense for myself and my wife so I'm waiting for that moment and I'm sure it will come where it does make sense perhaps with children coming along or with, with life changes and I think by by making that decision then you, you plant your flag in the ground and perhaps then there's a possibility to buy some other properties or, or to go down that path but for now it's, it's simple and it makes it very easy to calculate your net worth as well <laughs>
0: yeah don't get me started i've been trying to work out our property valuations at the moment and you've got to guess the property valuation and then you've got to call the bank and get the mortgage amount and subtract it and make any other alterations as you do so it definitely is it definitely is more complicated on some of those things and look just to put a little bit of context on this as well in relation to property and prices obviously what's happening here in Limerick is likely very different to that of the London property market uh, where prices here would be a fraction of what you're probably looking at there in the UK so it definitely needs to be taken with a little bit of grain of salt certainly the two houses that we purchased last year were both purchased for under 200 000 euro which is relatively cheap on a worldwide scale at least for developed countries and look I've often talked about it that in Ireland and and the UK I suspect is the same. It's it's very easy. You always hear these reports. Oh, Ireland or the UK is the most expensive country in Europe. But we shouldn't be comparing everything to Europe because you've got a lot. You've got the Eastern Bloc there. You've you've got various other countries that aren't English speaking countries and and have different cultures and 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 different tax systems. What we should be really comparing is some of the Commonwealth countries, so Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and that's where cost of living maybe starts to look a little bit more appealing when you actually start to look at some of those countries rather than focusing on our own back garden. But yeah, well done, Joshua. Fair play for for keeping your investing as simple as you have. Now, there's one other thing that I really like about your podcast, and that is when you bring your wife on to be interviewed. It's it's always great for me listening because um, obviously I can relate a lot to conversations with my own wife. One of the biggest questions I get from listeners on the podcast is, how do you bring your partner along on your financial independence journey? So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you managed to, I don't wanna say convince your wife, but obviously it sounds like you were the the one that kind of discovered this, this fire movement and started down the journey. And then obviously at some point you've had to have that conversation with your partner. So how did you kind of tackle that? And what advice would you give to anybody listening that might be wanting to have this conversation and how they could approach it? And I guess ultimately, I mean, how could this be? How could this be achieved?
1: How was it achieved? Well, she had got some good financial habits before we met, which were, was very important to me when we were dating. And we didn't talk about money that much actually when we were dating. But I noticed that she had good habits. She she didn't have any debt. She was able to live under her or below her means. But she never invested before, and that was a whole new world. And for anyone wanting to pursue financial independence, perhaps there's a sense of resistance. One tip that I can share is it's it's easier to perhaps find a, a resource and just not even send the resource. It c- can be more passive than that. It could be a podcast, it could be a YouTube video. Just be watching that in their presence, and it might provoke a conversation. And sometimes hearing those words come out of someone else's mouth is much easier than it coming out of of your mouth. And I've I've had a couple of occasions where that's the case. It's almost word to word what I say someone else says, but it's much more convincing when someone else says it. (laughs) Bit frustrating, but it can happen that way. And when it came to to aligning on the, the financial independence it, it was really sitting down talking about crunching the numbers and showing why this is important is this something that's going to work is this feasible for us and and keeping in touch about it so we have, I wouldn't say regular money meetings but maybe once a month, once every two months we sit down, make sure everything's on track we speak often about money and investing is still a tricky one for, for her she, she does worry about the volatility of the market but we have conversations about it and I tried to reassure her that everything's under control and that that's normal. The most recent wobble, let's say, was when she had an increase in her salary. And I know that Andy Hart, my favourite podcaster, talks about this. That's when lifestyle creep can can come in. If you don't take control of that pay increase and make sure that your investment contributions are increased, then over time, that's it's going to be a big problem. Think about how many pay increases you have over the next twenty or thirty years. And if you're not if you're paying in five hundred pounds a month now, and you're paying the same in thirty years' time, it's not going to have so much of an impact. So there was a big, big reluctance from her side to increase. The those contributions but we we discussed it. I had to twist her arm a little bit. however, lesson learned. Due to paying in money into different accounts and different ISAs, she was having to manually transfer the money, and I noticed that that was so much more of a barrier than automation. I cannot stress that enough. When it's automated and it's set up, and the direct debit just runs its its course, it went. Actually, funny enough, we she said this morning, "Oh, I payment to Vanguard's gone out." Oh, but that was it. It was done. Whereas previously doing it manually, it was a real conversation oh have you done it yet or when should we sit down when should we do it together and that's a a real true lesson for, for, for me the other thing as well is just trying to appreciate that you're not the same people. You've got to try and understand their mentality and just also speak about things. Log onto the website together, show what you're investing in. I make sure that she's she's able to do it herself, even though she doesn't have interest in it. You know what, what fund is it? Can you find it? And it gives me some some confidence that if anything is to happen to me, that she knows what's going on and, and that she can continue those those good habits.
0: Yeah, very good. And and you're, and you're dead right. I think there's obviously a happy medium. I, I like the word that you used, was it alignment? like financial alignment is fundamentally what you're looking for like even in my case I'm definitely the more frugal one I hate spending money at the best of times but then occasionally my wife might surprise me by saying the same thing or saying I'm not I'm not paying that much for that or we don't need that so you can kind of I I guess over time, just by talking about it and being open about it... you're definitely going to mold each other and find some sort of balance there. And so I think there's no quick fix for this. If you're with a partner that has always been a spender... and you've also been a spender or, you know, that's just happened... it's going to be very difficult to change that mentality. It's going to take a lot of time... and it's going to probably take more than just sitting down and having a conversation. So it's it's one of these things, and I think you kind of alluded to it at the start... that whether it was subconsciously or not, when you were dating... Your, your wife at the beginning, you realize that there are attributes here of, of somebody that is potentially a saver. And obviously that's that's a good thing and, and you were checking for that. So it is, look, it's it's always difficult. And as I mentioned, it's one of the most common questions I get, but the answer is it takes time. And at the same time, we're always learning and we're always adapting, right? And even things from, even things on the podcast that I had from five years ago, it's almost shameful when you listen back going, what were you thinking? Let alone 10, 20 years ago. So we're always we're always improving and and, and becoming better versions of ourselves. And so we need to we need to give ourselves that time as well, and, and and give our partners that time to to adapt. Just because you've discovered something doesn't mean that, that they're going to necessarily jump on it at the same time. It, it might take them a couple more years, you know.
1: Hundred percent. And if you are in that dating period, then just be reminded that a a fitting partner can be one of the greatest investments that you ever make, or one of the costless as well and not, not taking that decision lightly, doing the groundwork I mentioned that we didn't talk that much about money in the early stages but later on, it was something that we talked, we had a, a book, a resource premarital counselling that we went through really parted and poked, do you have any debt, what, what do you feel about this specific financial consequence, where do you want to live, where do you want to be, asking those questions in advance is really helpful and it makes you realize whether you're aligned or whether you're not and if you're not you need to make sure that you can you can handle that
0: man it's amazing i've i'm blown away by uh, by how much we have in common i cannot wait next time i'm in, I'm in london to meet up for a for a drink uh, joshua i'm sure we'll have so much more to talk about but it's amazing to think two different people Two different countries two completely different backgrounds and i guess the only real thing we do have in common is that we're both living in two different cities and countries and what we were born in but other than that it's just amazing to think that we have so much in common so yeah fair play and well done on everything that you've achieved to date on on your own fi journey and look i guess if people are looking to hear more from you is definitely do reach out joshua has a podcast called the art of money and communication and i will post a link in the show notes. Joshua does release more regular content than myself. He tends to post every Wednesday, most weeks, whereas I'm only posting every Friday, every second week. So it's certainly great. And Joshua, I do enjoy listening to your episodes when I go on my long walks. But for now, Joshua, thank you so much. Really would love to have you again on the podcast in a year or two. It would be great to continue to follow your story. And look, thank you so much. It's really appreciate you coming on today.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank you.